Curiously Polar with Chris Marquardt and Mario Aguarona. A wonderful good day to everyone and welcome back to Curiously Polar. This is episode 26 of this tiny little podcast and um, Mario and I couldn't be more happy, right? Yeah, fantastic. 26, when I just, in, in, before the show mentioned the episode. show number, you were like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wait, wait, I have something here in my desk that is a um, little party. Wait. Here we go. Yay. <laughs> so, we officially opened this episode. Um, let's see. We have talked about, oh, many, so many things in the last few weeks, including marine mammal sex. If you haven't listened to that, go back to episode 24, uh, last week's summer farming. Um, this week, we'll go back to... Svalbard, Svalbard. Uh, Spitzbergen, which is that uh, archipelago really up in the north. And um, there is a place up there which is the the further the further no, the furthest north it, settlement that I personally have ever been to. And yeah, it's called New Olesund. Yeah, and New Olesund is also like uh, let's say the northernmost um, civilian settlement. In the world, there are there are the places that are further north uh, that are military bases, but uh, but it's um, it's a nice little town that we visited together, and uh, it's inter interesting to to know about the story. Oh, it, it did, it did, and uh, I would I was there, I was in the museum there, and we saw a few interesting buildings and things, but there is. Um, there's definitely more behind that, and I guess you can tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> With pleasure. Yeah, New Orleans is a is a place uh, that uh, that is uh, regularly visited um, by um, by cruise ships and uh, private expeditions. It is a um, a place uh, that is actually quite. Um, full with history for polar expeditions uh, especially north pole expeditions and uh, it uh, has been a mining town and it is uh, now a big uh, research center um, so it's uh, it's it's quite a quite a place with a strange and troublesome history i must say at this and, point, uh, the the one I mostly remember when looking at the buildings was the Chinese building. There's like buildings of many different nationalities, which is probably their their research stations there. Yes, and the Chinese have two dragons, two jade two dragons, lions, yes. <laughs> or yeah. lions in front yeah, of the lions there. just in front. Fantastic, <laughs> which, which is amazing to see that high up north. Well, let's say that uh, considering the price of uh, transporting equipment up to up to that place and to the uh, the effort that you need to do, I mean, transporting two big pieces of uh, stone <laughs> carved in <laughs> Chinese style um, probably testifies of the uh, importance of these symbols for for the Chinese. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Yep. Anyway, yes. So, how, how many how many nationalities are up there? How many research I facilities? Think, Do you have an idea? I think there are about uh, sixteen 
uh, it depends on uh, on how many are active or non-active. It's, and they um, change activity over the year. They're not yes, all but, active. Uh, all but I think the year. I think there are uh, there are sixteen, seventeen stations right. that are running, and some of them are joined. Um, so it's um, like. Uh, uh, France and Italy, for example. Oh, no, what is it? France and Germany are, are together in a research okay. station out there, and uh, and uh, and then there are ad hoc uh, activities happening. Um, there are also uh, stations that are non-national, uh, like they are uh, aimed at uh, a special, specific research, uh, like uh, uh, or specific activities, like. Uh, there is a rocket range um, uh, from the Andoya rocket range in Norway, up in the in the Vesterolen, north of Lofoten, uh, that has a base also in New Olesund for sounding rockets, uh, checking the the conditions in the uh, outer layers of the Earth's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So, so there are um, there are quite uh, quite a few interesting things, and then there is the um, the administrators of the place, the Kings Bay um, AS, the uh, company that administers the place, that uh, also has their own uh, buildings and activities, of course, because they are the caretakers and the the say the the owners of uh, of the place. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, New Olesund. Well, um, the first um, the first activities in New Olesund were. Um, coal mining and um, and coal everywhere in Spitsbergen you can find traces of coal deposits but um, coal is uh, exploitable only in a few places um, in Svalbard and um, and it was noted already in the 1600s uh, that uh, there was a uh, coal uh, coming to the surface like coal seams up on the mountain above the New Olesund um, and um, and that was uh, because of course these uh, expeditions were led by whalers looking for of course whales but they needed as well fuel to try the oil uh, out of the whale so to cook the oil and uh, to cook the blubber and to get the oil out and it was very important to it would it would save a lot of money and a lot of trouble if one found uh, uh, fuel mm-hmm. on site so that's um that's where we that's where we are but uh, maybe before i go ahead uh, we should uh, you should be looking at the geographic location of uh, of neurosund and um i think it's uh, spitsbergen um so the big island in the, the Svalbard archipelago. It's uh, in a bay in the northwest um, of, uh, of Spitsbergen. And uh, the bay is now called uh, King's Bay. Uh, earlier it was called Wales Bay. Or, and, um, and it was because it's a, it's a place where there, is a, there, was, there were a lot of whales. Um, it's uh, a very uh, beautiful and scenic uh, fjord system. Probably one of the most, if not the most beautiful fjord systems. It's amazing. That on, on Spitsbergen. Yeah. And uh, there are uh, fantastic glaciers and, um, and uh, fantastic mountains all around. 
So it is it is very nice, and it's also very protected, very very good protected uh, um, stretch of water for for navigation. So it's also it's also important uh, to think that uh, if you want to settle down, um, make a settlement somewhere, you want to have a place where you could uh, land with a ship and be relatively safe in adverse conditions. Yeah, and. Um, and we've been sailing around a little bit in there, and uh, well, Chris, you can probably testify on how beautiful that place. Oh, is. it was it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I I do have fond memories back to that place. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um, so, well, we're talking about the the sixteen hundreds. Um, the name is uh, Jonas Pool. Uh, it was a it was a whaler and a sealer, and came up on an expedition for. Uh, England up in and uh, exploring the northern whaling grounds he noted and this is the first record of the uh, coal deposits in Konsfjorden and um, everything went more or less uh, quiet uh, until uh, the late 1800s mid 1800s uh, because um, whaling and we discussed a little bit about this in a pre- earlier episode um had a big development in the uh, around the 1600s and and uh, and then the whale stocks diminished rapidly and uh, and whaling uh, was not uh, carried out from the land stations in Spitsbergen and uh, and therefore the importance of coal and the importance of Spitsbergen uh, diminished but um, in the uh, mid 1800s, um, there were several surveys and uh, and um, to to look at the um, geology and the uh, and the uh, yeah the geomorphology of the area. And uh, shortly after, a, a Swedish um, company set up uh, a. Um, uh, well, found the coal again, and uh, there was a society, uh, like a, a firm, um, established that uh, laid the claims on the on the coal deposits. And it was coal for, for for time was really important up there. Yes, um, it's uh, we're talking about the uh, early 1900s, uh, actually 1901, and we have this uh, this. Uh, Bergen Spitsbergen uh, coal uh, mine company, mm-hmm. Kulgrube company, and uh, and they staked out the territory and the area um, and laid the claims on on this uh, place. And this is because when you in Spitsbergen, when you um, um, the rules are that if you find mineral deposits or anything that you want to um, take from the uh, from the bedrock. Um, you can uh, apply for a license. Uh, you have to claim uh, the place. You have to stake it out with uh, pickets and uh, all around the place, and uh, mm-hmm. and then you have to do something about it. Um, so you, you cannot just stake the claim and then not yes, do anything. You have to exactly. be active. And uh, and this is because the. Uh, um, this first company uh, lost the uh, claims on the on the deposits on the coal deposit okay 
and uh, and this is um, this is why uh, five years later, four years later, in in nineteen oh five, nineteen oh six, a guy called Ernst Mansfield um, took up the claims for himself and, uh, and then sold them to a company called the Northern Exploration Company Limited, so <laughs> a, a British company. Uh, and uh, the uh, the sale was uh, accomplished in 1910. And uh, and before, just before that uh, completion of the uh, of the establishment of the company and uh, uh, this Northern Exploration Company, um, there were some test uh, shafts built, and um, and uh, and everything was uh, established. Uh, like as uh, uh, legally and uh, in practice, uh, one they were, they were. We were pretty sure that there were coal, there was coal, and it was possible to mine it, as sure as you could be in in those days. And um, in 1916, there was a um, um, fisherman Peter Brandall from the town of Olesund. Um, who, uh, and where is Olesund uh, originally? And and Olesund is in the uh, west coast of uh, Norway, okay. of mainland Norway. So New um, Olesund is New Olesund. Yes, and, the, and like the town was not called uh, anything uh, or had some temporary names. So he named until, it. <laughs> until uh, this uh, Peter Brandall and a couple of other uh, people um, actually bought uh, the claims and uh, and started um, they started the actual mining and because the company was made in in Olesund um they were uh, it was called New Olesund and we're talking here about uh, uh 1916 um and um and and that's where the actual commercial mining um starts um, in in the area and uh, they create this uh, company called Kings Bay uh, Coal Company, Kings Bay Coal Company. And uh, in 19, at the end of 1916, uh, they have uh, uh, 30 people um, up in uh, what is now called, or shortly after, will we call New Olesund. And they start uh, taking uh, the coal and uh, and shipping it, uh, shipping it out. And uh, they start. Uh, constructing the the settlement or the barracks and the all the infrastructure that you need to to uh to extract the coal um all year round including uh, the port and the railways and uh, and we have the first overwintering there with uh, 64 people um it must have been hard it must have been quite interesting just yeah just also because there is no air transport everything mm-hmm. is transported by 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 ship at that time and uh and when the last ship leaves then you are left for the winter sure <laughs> but i mean there and, were and enough people everything to there that you can't just go and buy stuff in the shop no exactly and um, they hadn't built it yet <laughs> true yeah. so um, so they uh they start um they start with the first winter with 64 people overwintering and uh, in 1918, uh, we have uh, the uh, um, a population in the summer of 300 people. Uh, 
with mining and uh, and uh, and of course this this uh, this is the uh, uh, this is the time where the name New Olson comes into place. Mm. Um, um, these were also troublesome years, of course, like in 1918. Um, we have uh, the war wars uh, ending, and uh, and we have uh, new uh, orders um, happening in. In, in the political scene and therefore we have uh, uh, also strikes and uh, and there are strikes that uh, these are strikes that uh, that are happening um, over um, the first one happens in the summer um, so when the coal uh, was supposed to be shipped out and uh, another one happens in the winter between November and January in 1920 and uh and this actually put the company on their knees and uh and the strike is about of course wages and working conditions mm-hmm. but it's also because the um because the coal prices uh, change dramatically and uh, and uh, and there is very little profitability in getting the coal out from Spitsbergen and down uh, to the uh, to the rest of the world so, um, so the Norwegian state um, subsidizes the uh, the the mining, um, and because there is this uh, support uh, from this relatively young nation, Norway, uh, actually gaining their independence in 1905, um, the uh, uh, town flourishes, and. The um, in in 1921 uh, we have the first uh, families uh, coming up. So it's a place where you not only have men working in the mine or administering the uh, the the coal business, uh, but you also have a, a female population and children and schools and uh, so it becomes actually a a big uh, a big town, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, re- relatively which, big. Yeah, you remember there were there are several yeah. uh, different buildings and uh, true, and uh, and it's uh, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting development because uh, this is um, is not happening in Longyearbyen, the other big town, until until much later. Mm-hmm. And um, these are also the years where there are a few um, expeditions happening. And uh, and uh, research is also getting importance, gaining importance. So the uh, there is a geophysical station established in the Cape on the um, mouth of the fjord um, in 1920, uh, and this is about uh, looking at the auroras. And, There's the uh, um, which we talked about. Before. I I remember the um, when I was there. There was a. In the museum, there was an exhibit of uh, an old all-sky camera, yeah, which is yeah. the camera that pretty much every time it's dark, it shoots pictures of the entire sky that's visible yes. from there, and and has a uh, created a record, a long, long record of aurora photography. Yeah. The yeah, all-sky camera, and I think it was it wasn't it wasn't that originally an Italian project. I think there was something there because Th- the there Italian was a lot of Italian influence up there. You should know yeah. that. 
Yes, there, there is. There has been a, quite a lot of Italians, and the the very um, the very famous uh, expeditions we I was talking about before, the ones uh, uh, towards the North Pole, um, start um, either from New Olesund or from Virgo Hamna on uh, Danskoya, mm-hmm. and from Virgo Hamna, it's the early ones with the with the helium balloons. Uh, Swedish expeditions and uh, from New Olesund we have uh, expeditions that are the first expeditions is by seaplanes uh, and it's uh, led by Roald Amundsen and uh, it's uh, uh, seaplanes that try to get to the North Pole and uh, involved in this expedition we have uh, Floyd Bennett and, and Richard Byrd um, they That's never a whole interesting story in itself. <laughs> we'll we'll look at these expeditions in details, or maybe we should yeah. have like an Amundsen theme and and other and other themes. But uh, but this first expedition doesn't work with the seaplanes, or they they incur into into big problems. So they they never reach the North Pole. But then the important part is the expedition with the airship Norge. That is a, a collaboration between Amundsen, Nobile, and uh, Ellsworth. Um, um, these uh, three people uh, they uh, get together and uh, go for the uh, North Pole and uh, on a on an airship. And and this is the first time that actually there is an expedition coming to the North Pole uh, from the air and. Uh, and the uh, it's a big uh, it's a big thing, and nowadays we can still see. Uh, you remember definitely the uh, the mast, the mast, which is a, a structure that is out there at the shore. Um, looks doesn't All look these, that yes. big from the outside from from far, but when you get closer, you realize how tall this thing is. So yeah. that's where that the airships the, were anchored to. Yeah, the mast where the nose of the airship would mm-hmm. would hang uh, to to be anchored to the so ground. So that is still there. That can still be visited. That is still there. Uh, there was also a, a big hangar structure that um, was built to uh, protect the airship and to uh, from the elements. You can still find and a few was, small pieces in the museum of that one. Yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, it's uh, it's a really. Really, a uh, important piece of uh, of polar history that we are talking about here, and uh, it's the first, uh, as I said, the first successful expedition uh, to uh, to the North Pole uh, that is verified and and uh, and certified, and it's uh, in uh, in 1926, and um, and then we um, and then we have uh, the uh, in 1928 we have the next expedition by airship and this is uh, practically just an Italian expedition and uh, that is trying to reach the North Pole and to set people on uh, on the ice on the North Pole and uh, it's uh, an expedition that is most famous for because it, it crashed on the way back on the ice and uh, there is a um, yeah, there is a um, film, the Red Tent, about it. Uh, lots of books have been written about it, and it's also the expedition um, in the, in this crash uh, of the airship. Some people die, um, die, and uh, and either even some rescuers die. Among which uh, Amundsen himself that uh, takes off on a on a, on an airplane from. Uh, from Tromsø and disappears en route for Norausland, for the north of Norausland, where 
where the accident was supposed to have happened and where it was verified that it had happened. So this is um, this is uh, one interesting part of the internationality of uh, of uh, research in uh, starting in New Orleans. But um, to go back to the coal, um, uh, there are uh, um, problems with coal mining because in New Orleans the mine is. Um, uh, the, the coal seams are in uh, in a mountain that has lots of faults, so um, places where the rocks uh, slide, uh, the cracks in the rock mm-hmm. they slide on each other, and there is lots of gas, of methane and other gases, and uh, and there are explosions and, and explosions, and there are um, uh, the coal is is uh, very brittle and the rock is very brittle, so there are the mine roof uh, collapses, and there are several events of accidents uh, that are uh, are killing at the beginning a uh, few people, um, but uh, but you know like a couple of people here, a couple of people there, it makes it. Uh, it makes it unpleasant to work there, and uh, and this plus the low profitability of of coal um, because of uh, war prices uh, induced the uh, the government of Norway to seize the subsidies, and um, and in in 1929 coal mining actually does stop, and uh, and that is. Uh, um, a blow for the community uh, people go back to the mainland there is just a small maintenance crew um, kept in Jolesund in the meantime there have been uh, activities of uh, like tourist uh, like activities mm-hmm. uh, there is this uh, hotel called the North Pole Hotel oh, we have seen that uh, yes that has been uh, yeah you have it uh, written on the roof <laughs> that uh, it opens and it's it's an area that is very popular for uh, from for rich uh, people uh, to come and uh, uh, relatively popular for rich people to come and, and come on holidays. Uh, there are a couple of uh, billionaires who have been around the area and there are the expeditions uh, from the um, Prince of Monaco, Albert I, that come also around the area. And um, and it's a, um, yeah, there is this British millionaire that uh, has a, a, a sick wife um, that um, suffers from the summers in Europe, probably uh, allergic to pollen or other uh, things that you could have in the air in the summer. And, uh, and he builds uh, a cabin in one of the Lovenojane uh, that is northeast of, uh, of New Olesund. You know, as uh, we passed them as we were sailing towards the King's Glacier. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and he, he actually, this is a summer house where he places his wife so that she can breathe during the summer. Oh, I just remember this. just being up there. Um, I, I have a bit of a hay fever thing going and being up there. I, th- I think I could live there just for that reason. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was <laughs> just, amazing. Just it was amazing. Area. The cold yeah. was nothing. Yeah. The, the breathing was amazing. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, so um, this is, we are talking about 1929. Uh, it's uh, troublesome times. Uh, also, Europe goes through uh, interesting times as well, <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. And um, and in Norway, um, 
the uh, um, problems with this uh, with this company, this uh, Kings Bay Coal Company, um, are quite uh, quite big, um, and default of payment and uh, repayment of the debit of the debt, the um, the state nationalizes the company, so it becomes effectively a, a state company from nineteen thirty three. Uh, but it's not uh, because the coal mining has to be reopened. It's it's kept uh, the the mine is kept there. Uh, the equipment is kept there in case the uh, the coal price uh, goes up. Um, but uh, the only activity apart from the North Pole Hotel is uh, um, a fishery station because there is uh, uh, more and more fishing happening west of uh, Svalbard and north of Svalbard and uh, and the fishing boats need uh, supplies and uh, need uh, to also to well, it, it makes it more profitable profitable for fisheries fishing expeditions to be able to discharge the catch in New Orleans and go back fishing and then to have transport ships uh, that uh, take the take the catch down to uh, to mainland Europe and uh, and uh, at the beginning is just um, fisher it's just supplies for the ship and taking down the fish but then uh, um, the uh, the activities go into extracting cod liver oil and and the salting of the of the cod for transport and um, and this is um, a brief um, a brief interesting period of a couple of years where uh, New Orleans is used um, is used uh, for uh, for for fisheries and as a as a fishing base, and um, mm, yeah, um, the uh, there is the breakup of World War Two with the uh, in in thirty nine and uh, and the town is then abandoned um, um, and uh, because of because of the start of World War Two. Uh, there is a little bit of coal um, being re-extracted in in from 1941, um, but uh, in like in the in the summer of of 1941, but uh, but it's just uh, a, a very small attempt because in 1941 at the end of August, the uh, um, with the uh, um, how do you call it the occupation of uh, Norway. Uh, from the uh, from Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. um, the uh, settlement in New Orleans is evacuated. The infrastructure is uh, blown up um, and destroyed. Uh, made, uh, really? Yeah, destroyed. Okay. Um, the coal uh, deposits are set on fire wow. outside, uh, so that uh, nothing is uh, left for the invaders uh, to use. And of course, this happens in a time where, well, Norway uh, gets a, a pro-Nazi government um, after the invasion, and there are some problems inside Norway about uh, at that time about about these acts of uh, um, uh, like a destruction of the of the resources right. uh, that could have been used by the uh, by the occupying uh, power, but. Uh, Anyway, the the whole thing is uh, uh, is uh, not um, not used anymore, and the town is uh, is abandoned. Uh, in the meantime, there are uh, um, stations uh, 
German weather stations uh, established in the area in Crossfjord, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a few activities, war activities happening around, but uh, but none in Jolsund. Until uh, in uh, 1945, um, where uh, the war has ended and... Uh, and there is a reconstruct a reconstruction effort, because of course after World War Two we have the uh, need for uh, coal and need for fuel, and that's where coal reopens. But in the years between uh, 1945 and 1962, there are several uh, events, uh, several, uh, especially three big accidents, and uh, the last one in uh, in 1962 actually uh, kills uh, so many people that uh, uh, 21 people these are mining accidents uh, it's mining accidents and it's explosions and and we have actually a a big scandal in the government because the government was pumping in money in order to modernize the uh, the mine was uh, apparently on paper doing everything it could to ensure that the conditions were okay. But still but, an accident uh, happened. It did, but it didn't, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and this was a big problem for the, um, um, for the, uh, for the prime minister. Uh, the cabinet was forced to resign, and there is a big, uh, big affair happening in, in, in Norway about this. But, but this is effectively when the mines actually stopped, and mining has not resumed since. So uh, the uh, there is termination of the mining in 1963, where everything is uh, is set to uh, to a stop. But Kings Bay is the uh, still owning the place or administering the place. It is a property of the of the ministry in uh, um, in Norway. So it is this Norwegian state owning it. Um, owning the company that owns or that manages the place, and uh, and Kings Bay recycles itself to service the research, and uh, and we have a a, a few uh, stations that are built in the years after that. Uh, there is a, the Norwegian Polar Institute um, uh, that is uh, um, that is establishing a station in 1966. Um, there are uh, ionosphere ionosphere uh, measurements uh, that are moved northwards. They were first in, um, traditionally taken from uh, Isfjord Radio, which is in the uh, close to Barentsburg, which we talked about in in Isfjord. And um, and then there are several other stations that are established in the years afterwards. And this is how we get into the situation that we have now, where we have uh, the buildings administered and the infrastructure administered by a company called Kings Bay, which is still the old company. Oh, really? Um, um, it is uh, the one that were extracting the the coal. Mm-hmm. Um, the only big change is that they they became Kings Bay instead of Kings Bay coal company okay so they changed the name and they moved the administration from oslo to new olesund and uh so that's uh that's uh, the big change and the old buildings are maintained and uh, uh rented out to the different stations that uh, to the different uh, nations that need uh, to uh, to establish a research station 
right. uh, or they would like to establish a research station. And among which you have, uh, for example, the, the Chinese, Korean, uh, Indian, uh, several uh, stations that are happening now. And the research is coordinated by, um, by um, well, the uh, coordinated. It's, there is a, uh, an information and coordination service uh, called the Svalbard Science Forum, Science Forum uh, SSF, which uh, tries to uh, um, help the smooth running of all the different research projects in, in Svalbard, not just in New Orleans. And that uh, uh, tries to avoid, uh, for example, replication of measures. Mm -hmm. So the the research mainly is that mainly climate research up there. Well, it is uh, the the research that we have out um, in Ulysund can is in many different fields of science. So we go from uh, geology. Uh, geophysics to uh, ecology and uh, and biology and marine biology and things everything has something to do i mean most of the research we have there have to do with uh, with climate either looking on in recent years about climate change and the changes you can see in the uh, from year to year or from decade to decade now um, but also It's a very interesting station because it is in a place that is high Arctic and it's one of the northernmost research uh, facilities in the world. So you, if you want to study the uh, uh, behavior and the uh, influence, the behavior of certain animals and plants or the uh, influence of Uh, extreme conditions on animals and plants well that's uh, that's the place to be yeah yeah it and, is also and apparently it is at 79 degrees north if you believe what the local gift shop says yeah well the local <laughs> gift shop says uh, yeah they 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 look ahead um, they in, look ahead uh, of, of um, polar yeah, um, in, um, in a couple of in a couple of, of hundred million years <laughs> <laughs> then then with with the drift it's going to be really But the, but but the, it, the entire not. marketing material there is is for the tourists is at 79 yeah, exactly. degrees, but it's not. It's well, 78, it's close. If, you, <laughs> if, if you round it up, I mean, yeah. if you round it, it's uh, very generous. Two, 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 two whole degrees. It's closer to 79 than it is to 78. Um, and 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 uh, Longyearbyen is, is 78, so you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to have this. Oh, there's <laughs> a danger of uh, mix up here. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. It's actually quite. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's quite interesting to look at these. <laughs> so, what's what's in the yeah. future for New Orleans? Are there any plans of? Um, um, oh no! One thing. One one step back. Um, now, it's also um, whose responsibility is it to to provide the infrastructure for the research? I'm thinking of things like um, there must be an internet connection, for example, a very simple. Story. Well, yeah. Well, the uh, Kings Bay. Is, it's their job, uh, right? It's their job to ensure that things are, are functioning. But um, the uh, there is there has been a, a, a Norwegian state um, investment in connecting Svalbard uh, to the to the rest of the internet. And in uh, right nowadays, um, you have a, a fiber uh, line um, that is uh, that is coming up to what. 10 gigabits per second <laughs> so it is a a huge line i think it's, it's like they it's call it a amazing. redundant two redundant fiber pairs line in 
it's it's uh, great. I mean, it's from from 2014. New Orleans is connected yeah. to the internet, like uh, yeah, it, it's in the, in, the in the middle of the internet. I live in the middle of of Germany, a rich country. We have. I think the max I can get is like 40, 50 megabits <laughs> yes. up there at the end of the world. You're getting exactly. gigabits and, and uh, gigabits. And the line is owned by Uninet, which is uh, the, uh, well, the university, uh, oh, I see. The, the supplier or the uh, the provider for, for universities and research. So um, if you so live up uh, there, at least yeah. you're not going to get bored mm. without information from the outside world. Yes, but... But in New Olesen, it is forbidden to use any equipment within 20 kilometers of, of the town. There is an exclusion zone where it is forbidden to use any equipment that operates between 2.1 and 2.5 gigahertz. Uh, so uh, mobile phones, Bluetooth devices, Wi-Fi, uh, oh, that's, wireless that's to devices. To not disturb some of the research yeah. there. Because there is a station called... Uh, a, well, an interferometer station. It's uh, they they look at the baseline um, interferometry, and uh, and it is the um, it is sensitive to to this uh, radiation uh, from from devices from from um, how do you call it handheld uh, computers and so other you devices. So you can't you can't use yeah. uh, two point four gigahertz uh, yeah. Wi Fi, but you could use five gigahertz Wi Fi at least. Yeah, they uh, they are they are looking. I mean, this is a this is a, an atmospheric uh, uh, not not an atmospheric an astro astrophysical um, uh, measurements, right. and uh, it's uh, so it's radio astronomy, and they uh, they look at. Um, distant cosmic radio sources mm -hmm. so w this is why it's called the baseline um, uh, signals from the universe so they need to be uh, as quiet as possible you cannot have radio these. pollution there yeah yeah i understand yes so, wait, so where is uh, new Orleans going well new Orleans is getting more and more uh, research activities um there are more and more students and research projects coming up uh, and this is not just because um, new Orleans is providing uh, i mean kings bay and the norwegian state are uh, owning kings bay are uh, uh, providing this uh, fantastic uh, research facility um but it's also because the world wakes up to the importance of looking at polar areas for understanding what's happening to the world, to the climate especially. So we have... Um, and we did have an episode have, specifically about that uh, where we yeah. got into detail. This is actually our fifth episode, if you want to go back to that episode five, climate change yeah. in the polar areas. Very interesting one. Yeah, we, uh, we went into... Uh, well, I wouldn't say the details, but at least we skimmed the well, surface yes. of, of, of climate change. Do an entire yeah. podcast just on that if you want yeah. to. Yeah. And uh, but it's not easy. I mean, one of the anecdotes that I have about New Orleans is that, uh, of course, we are looking at uh, a place where there are measures in gases in the atmosphere to look at uh, different um, different uh, concentrations of different gases and uh, and detect on a long-term series if there are any changes and which directions they're going. And this means that you have to uh, be very careful about emissions of greenhouse gases in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and and one of the one of the interesting things is that I, there was one one year when uh, after establishing this uh, this very um, precise atmospheric gas uh, research uh, equipment up on the mountains on Zeppelin Fjellet, which is just south of New Olsund, and that's where the coal mining was happening. Mm-hmm. Well, they they realized that there were these peaks in in CO two uh, that were happening like towards the end of the day in the summer and it was mostly on 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 nice sunny days and they couldn't really figure out about this until somebody realized that it was actually because they were having barbecues down in town <laughs> well if the, that that at least uh, tells us that their instruments are sensitive enough to, yeah, to detect that's, the, the stuff that's being quite <laughs> yeah of course because there are not thousands of barbecues happening down in barbecue town barbecue induced measurement errors now that's quite something <laughs> so from uh, from that day on it was forbidden also to do barbecues on the outside it's not that uh, that you have many other things uh, to do when you are in New Orleans <laughs> than trying to <laughs> trying to survive. <laughs> okay, if you're a barbecue fan, New Orleans is not for you. Yes. All mm. right. Yes. Yes, and so the future is uh, research. Uh, the future is also somehow tourism uh, awareness uh, through tourism, mm-hmm. um, uh, and um, the future. I hope that it's also for people to. Uh, Come up, be respectful of the environment, and uh, and see the uh, and testify of the beautiful landscapes that we have up in the in the Arctic and how fragile they are. All right. Yes, I think that's a great a great place to wrap up the episode um, about New Orleansund at seventy eight point five six. North, not 79. (laughs) Okay, Marius, thank you so much for for your insight in this. Um, As always, very interesting. Very appreciated. Um, If you want to contact us, go to curiouslypolar.com. There are all sorts of ways to reach us if you have questions, if you have topic suggestions, if you want to know more. We're also working on a few interesting things that I cannot really say much more about right now, but Um, things will be revealed Um, other than that we'll be back next week until then take care and stay cool stay cool